Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack. Today, in remembrance of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, Andrew is joined by abortion survivor Melissa Oden. How could I stay quiet when I know that 3,000 children in our country alone are going to lose their lives to abortion today? Without the right to life, there is no other right. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Tuesday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I'm doing another special day of programming. This is the 27th, or 47th, excuse me, 47th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision that legalized abortion in America. And every year we do something just to keep this issue in front of people and to let them know that, man, this is something that the body of Christ needs to be dealing with. And yesterday we started an interview with Melissa Oden, and she survived an abortion. What was it, 40-something years ago? Yeah, I can age myself pretty quickly. That's yeah, okay, you... though. I'll celebrate every one of those years. <laughs> and we were sharing her testimony, and um, it's really a good thing that we were able to take a break because Melissa <laughs> and I were both uh, <laughs> teary-eyed, and we had to pull ourselves together. But her maternal grandmother was a nurse and actually injected uh, her daughter the placenta with a saline abortion uh, procedure and expected Melissa to be born dead through this abortion, but she survived it. And when the grandmother saw that she was still alive, she just set her aside and wanted her to die. And another nurse in the hospital wound up saving her life. And this is what we were talking about yesterday. If you missed yesterday's program, please go back and view it because I tell you, you need to put a face on abortion, and Melissa is just a great testimony that that is not just a hunk of flesh, it is not tissue, it's a person. She was a, she was a wonderful young girl, I guess, what, seven months, nearly eight months uh, into the pregnancy, and yet she survived. A nurse saved her life, and we were bringing this up yesterday that your uh, adoptive parents they came into this situation about, what, a couple of months maybe after you were born and adopted you. So how did that go? What happened after My you... parents are amazing. My parents are very private people, but... Um... Have they ever appeared with you? You appear in front of Congress and all of these places. Have yeah. They ever been My parents travel with me from time to time. I mean, they'd love to sit back and watch. Uh, I love that about my mom and dad. They have just trusted God's plans for me and, you know, are always praying for me and are my biggest cheerleaders. And, you know, as you can imagine, Andrew, this has not been an easy process for them to watch me, um, you know, learn the story of my survival at 14 and struggle with that and and years ago not want to be a survivor. You it know, must I have been hard on your uh, adoptive parents to tell you about this. It so was. How did this come to pass? It was an accident at the age of 14. Uh, my older sister faced an unplanned pregnancy and was considering every option. And so they told her my survival story, hoping that she would understand the impact that an abortion would have. And, you know, gratefully, she did carry that child to term, parented him, went on and had other children. But that's ultimately how I found out is by a complete accident. She let it slip 
And your older sister is the one that actually told you. About well, she didn't tell me everything, but she said something really curious to me. And it sounds terrible on the surface, but we were just two teenage girls. She said, you know, at least my biological parents wanted me. Wow. Yeah, and you know, she may not have been malicious. No, no. Like I said, it really sounds... It sounds that way on the surface. You have a good relationship with her? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, in in her defense, I can understand how she felt that way, right? She was simply placed for adoption. Someone tried to end my life first. And so that makes great sense. You know, my mother was abandoned at birth. And <laughs> so uh, she was adopted and people made fun of her for being adopted. But her comeback always was, my parents chose me. Absolutely. Your parents had to take what they got. We've said special. that over the years. My older sister and I are both adopted, and then my little brother is actually my parents' biological son. So after 15 years of infertility, they had him. Mm -hmm. And we used to say that, right? Well, they had you. Yeah. They chose us. <laughs> so how did it affect you when you found out that you were adopted? And then uh, when did they tell you then that they had tried to uh, abort you, that you survived an abortion? I grew up knowing I was adopted. It was just a normal... Thing in our family, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, we grew up knowing adoption blessed us. You know, I know that it's not always easy. There is loss. I think we have to acknowledge for everyone in that adoption triad, there is a level of grief, but it is such a blessing because it gives life. Mm -hmm. And people can live with that decision as opposed to abortion. So grew up knowing I was adopted, but you know, finding out at the age of 14 that I survived that abortion first, I went into an absolute tailspin, you know, developed an eating disorder, trying to control something when I couldn't control how I came into this world, uh, you know, struggled with alcohol abuse, so many poor choices. And I'm sure many people who watch your programs have experienced that, or maybe they're going through it right now. And, you know, I can honestly say it was God alone that saved me from myself. And you were what, 13, 14? 14, yeah. And you were struggling with alcohol abuse? Yeah. And your parents, it sounds like they were godly people. They, they were. were. Christians? So. Yeah, they simply did not know the extent of my suffering because I hid it. Oh, so they weren't aware of what was no, going on? No, I was the good kid, right? The good kid, the please everyone. I don't even understand how you could hide <laughs> alcohol addiction and I don't I know. I was quite good at it. Um, yeah. My parents simply thought I was doing okay. You know, knew that I was hurting, but did not know the extent to which I was hurting. And, you know, in hindsight, of course, I wish I could have told someone, anyone, how much the truth about my life was hurting me because it could have, you know, saved me a couple of years of incredible heartache. But I love that God, you know, not only saved me and healed me, but allowed me to know that so many people struggle in the midst of their own pain. And, you know, I'm grateful that I can use that now to glorify God and say, if you're going through a similar circumstance, you know, pray for the grace, reach out to someone. There's always someone you can talk to no matter how alone you feel. And really God allowed me to first forgive my biological parents back then. And I truly believe that was probably my greatest um, piece of healing was to, to forgive them for the first time not knowing how this story really was playing out. Um, and I say first time because this is not a final destination, right? Forgiveness is not this place that you suddenly arrive at and go, hey, 
things are great. Uh, it's a place where you have to choose to forgive every single day. So when I find out years later that my grandmother was responsible, I have to choose to forgive. You know, now, I you could, didn't know that at 14. You just knew that you had survived an abortion, Absolutely. but you didn't know any of the details. Yeah. How long did it take you to learn these things? Uh, I started to find out more when I was about 30. That's when I found my oh, biological parents. so you're parents. talking about from 14 to 30. So, wow. I learned a lot about God in those years. So how about this forgiveness? That When was that that you started forgiving? Yeah. The, the first time was back then as a teenager. I can't even tell you that exact moment, but I can, you know, remember that it was back in that that time period. But it was this continual process of, you know, finding out more information and then, you know, having to look upon it and say, okay, you know what? I love you still. I love you anyway. I love you even more because I know how you were victimized. You know, I forgive you once again. My my oldest daughter, Olivia, was born at the same hospital where my life was supposed to end in wow, 2008. that's amazing. And you have to look upon that and say, here's my child who never would have existed mm -hmm. if that abortion would have successfully ended my life. And take 60 million aborted children. Think what their lives could have been like. You know, our offer that we're making... Uh, Melissa's interview from f four or five years ago, plus this one, plus, uh, let's see, I've got a list here of all <laughs> of them, but we've got Connie Weiskopf, who had three abortions. She's on here. Eileen Smith, whose daughter uh, went through an abortion and died during the abortion procedure. Carrie Fisher, who went through an abortion. But we've got uh, Minka Disbrow on here, and you heard of her when we first interviewed her, we've got a video of her on here at 103 years old, and she meant her daughter who she came close to aborting. She would have aborted it if they would have allowed it back in mm -hmm. the day. And anyway, there's just some great things on here. I encourage you to get this product. But you started forgiving when you were a teenager, and that brought you to healing. wholeness and healing. You got married, have children. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how you... Uh, encountered your actual birth mother? So I found out who she was back in 2007. Really took me about 10 years to find out who she was and to obtain my medical records. So that was records. 30 years after your birth? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so found out who she was, had a little bit of communication with her family, but they made it clear that my messages would not be passed along to her through them because they simply, you know, were estranged. They don't communicate. They don't have a relationship. And I had to learn over those years to really just trust that God has a plan in the midst of that. And so finally in 2013, one of her other family members reached out to me. It was a cousin who was able to pass along more of the story to me. She put me in contact with my two half-sisters from my birth mother's side of the family and also then opened the communication with my birth mother. And so we started emailing, um, exchanging information, and... I bet that was awkward. That is a good word to describe <laughs> it. Thank you. I'm glad you understand that. People, I mean, it's, it's stunning, right, to know that... This is a person that was willing to kill you, and here you are making well, contact with And her. even though, you know, in my heart, I knew that she was forced, there is so much emotional baggage on both sides 
of those experiences, right? She had her own trauma. I had my own trauma. And there's no books written out there about how do you navigate relationships and communication? So we were kind of stumbling through it. But really, the fact that she lived for so long with so much pain was probably our greatest um, obstacle because she had never really experienced unconditional love in her family. So she doubted that I could love her the way that I said I did. She doubted that I could forgive her family. And so she had to learn to trust me. And I had to, of course, trust her. And so we really spent about three years. That's only God. It is. is. Without the Lord, you couldn't have done that. Absolutely. And, you know, when we first started communicating, she would say things like, well, you know, Melissa, if there is a God, where was he when I needed him? And I let her know, I understand that, right? Uh, I can't even begin to imagine the shoes that she's walked in, but I know what it's like to question his plans and his timing. And I had said, you may not believe this now, but at some point you will. I had written scripture in a card for her, you know, and it said what, you know, what God intends for evil or what man intends for evil, God intends for good, the saving of many lives. And I get to see her now believe that. Andrew. That's awesome. She will now say that, right? She'll say, there is a God. I know. And he's loved me all along. If if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't be connected with you. So for me, that's really the most beautiful part of our relationship as I get to see her so how growing your, in her faith. How have your kids embraced their grandmother? How's it? They know her as their grandma Ruth. Uh, we live in the same community. I didn't really talk about that years ago. When we moved to Kansas City back in 2013, we did not know that my birth mother lives in the same community. And so does one of my half-sisters. And so we kept that a secret because I wanted to protect her, but she started talking about it. I mean, she's grown so much in courage and faith. And so uh, we're not scared to talk about that. So we live in the same community. We get together as often as our schedules allow. You know, my, my children go to their cousin's birthday parties. We go to the zoo together, right? We do all of these typical, normal family things. And That's amazing. she has a special part in our family. My mom and dad will always be my mom and dad. But my biological mother is a huge part of our lives. That is only God. Can it is. That. That's awesome. So God has opened up doors for you, Melissa. You have, and I want to commend you for doing that because I know that this is private and in a way you're exposing yourself and, and I'm sure you've been attacked it's amazing that people would criticize you for being alive. They would rather you be dead. But yet you are taking a stand. You've been on uh, news inter- news programs, interviews. You've been before Congress. How's that going? How's yeah, God using you? I'm sure people can see the tears in my eyes. It's a very uh, humbling thing to be called forward in this kind of public fight. Here's you. Thank you. <laughs> it's not anything that I ever take lightly, right? I think, you know, sometimes people will send me messages and say, you know, how could you do this and how could you do that? And I always say, if you knew how the Lord led me to that position, you wouldn't question me. You know, people can, oftentimes people will say, you know, Melissa, I love your story. I love that God saved you and I love that God healed you and he restored you and reconciled with you, with your birth mother. But, um, don't take this public stand against abortion. How and could I would they say, say that? How could I not? <laughs> yes. 
how could I not when this has been God's intention for me all along? And how could I stay quiet when I know that 3,000 children in our country alone are going to lose their lives to abortion today? How could I not go forward? And so, you know, I think there's hope to be found in that because even though this is my calling, every single one of us can do something just like you do something every single day. So people can, you know, write to their legislators, whether it's an urging to, for them to vote for life or a simple thank you, saying thank you for doing something for life. People can volunteer. You know, people can get involved in a healing ministry. We can come alongside women and men in need. There are so many things that we can do to create a culture of life. But yeah, I'm in a season where God has said, you're going to go forth and you are going to share your story and you're going to hopefully urge people, especially people in power, to do something about this. And, you know, I, I got kind of emotional when I was sharing this a minute ago and I lost my train of thought. But one <laughs> of the reasons that I was wanting to promote this product is because one of the interviews we have a video with Minka, she meant her daughter that was given up for adoption when she was 80 something years old and her daughter had a uh, medical procedure that she needed to know her um, medical history, and she thought that her mo birth mother was probably dead. Well, anyway, they connected, and it turned out that her daughter that she would have aborted had they had abortion legal back in those days. Her daughter, I forget all of the details, but there were astronauts, there were generals, there were politicians. There are people that are making huge contributions to our society that would not have been alive if she had aborted her. And just think of your life. You wouldn't have experienced what you, you're married, you have children, your children, who knows what the future would be. And when a person aborts that child, they're aborting all of this future. Absolutely. And it doesn't just impact one life, right? Our culture would even say it doesn't really impact a life, right? We know that impacts multiple lives and for generations Well, it come. impacts those women. And we mentioned this on yesterday's program, but you have met only one or two women who've been through an abortion that it doesn't devastate them. It impacts the person who does it. We aren't angry at people that get abortion. We feel for them. But also, you, you know, they talk about, well, what about woman's right? Well, you were a woman and you had rights. <laughs> Let's talk about that, yes. shall we? I mean, that's and that's honestly one of the most powerful discussions that I've had before Congress a couple of different times in the last year alone is to say, you know, where are the rights of women like me who survive abortions? Where are the rights of the little girls in the womb who are going to lose their lives today? They Where are the people. rights of women like my birth mother who are forced and coerced to have an abortion? You know, this is not, this was never about a woman's right, right? That is such a false narrative. But unfortunately, our culture has really um, embraced that. But we know that when they have to come face to face with a woman who was aborted, there is no right in this. Because without the right to life, there is no other right. And, you know, the scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. And abortion is a money deal. They're selling baby parts, making huge amounts of money off of it. You were even telling me before we came out for the program that sometimes an abortionist, if they find out that it's twins, will want to charge more. Mm -hmm. Well, in late term abortions in particular, they're a huge 
money maker. So I So work, you get more money if it's a late term abortion? You do. I mean the number is astronomical. Add a few zeros behind anything that you're thinking. It's heartbreaking. Uh, I my heart goes out to anybody who's in that position and somehow thinks that a, an abortion is the solution to whatever they're facing or typically they're told at that point that their child has a health issue and you know somehow it's the compassionate thing to have a late term abortion. Um, but I can tell you as the mother of a child with complex medical needs, my child is a blessing and a gift and every child deserves better. And just to kill a child because you think that they may have something, that's There's murder. nothing compassionate about no, that. No, that's terrible. We've got, a, we've got a testimony of the people, the Trovers, that their baby had out of 21 markers for Down syndrome, they had 20 of the markers mm -hmm. in the womb. And they just stood and believed and that baby was born perfectly healthy. And so praise God. It, it is... Even if a child was born with Down syndrome, that does not make them less of a human and not a right for us to kill them. Uh, well, real quickly, we've only got about two or three minutes. Could you address, uh, you know, lots of times when you talk against abortion, people will say, but what about rape? What about incest? <laughs> the hard cases, right? What our culture would say, that's, that's why we need to have abortion. The reality is those hard cases are only about 1%. So rape, incest, life of the mother. They make a big deal out of it and it's really a very minor. It is a very minute number. And of course, then we always have to be clear that those lives still have meaning and purpose no matter the circumstances right. of how they're conceived. They talk about the inconvenience to the mother, but the child, they aren't guilty of anything. And to kill the child because they were conceived in rape or incest, it's just... It's barbaric. Absolutely. And I, some people, I think, have good intentions, right? People will say, well, I don't want to see a woman suffer. Well, they don't acknowledge the fact that abortion causes suffering for that woman. And of course, abortion causes suffering for the child. So I would really encourage people to visit uh, a website like Save the One. Um, that is formed by a friend of mine, Rebecca Kiesling, where they share their stories of being that 1% that is kind of touted as being the reason why we should have abortion. Well, again, would you advertise the book that you have written? Yeah. And you're, do you have a website or ways I that do. they can get in touch with you? So You Carried Me a Daughter's Memoir is my book. Um, people can find it on my website. It's Melissa Oden, O-H-D-E-N.com. And uh, we're working on some really great projects through the Abortion Survivors Network. Uh, even though most people are private, a lot of people are starting to find healing and uh, we're starting to share more stories. You're gonna see more faces like mine very soon. So there's a link on my website to get to that sister site. And God is using Melissa in a big way to stand up for life. And they have some things that we haven't got the freedom to tell you, but it could cost a lot of money and, and that you can support her and help her in what she's doing. And I tell you what, we're just putting this abortion issue in front of the American public and not letting it go away. And I thank you for that. I believe we are going to see an end of legalized abortion in this nation. Me too. And you're a big part of it. Mm, thank you. That's awesome. So man, praise God that you've joined us. Again, let me just advertise that we have in this, there is a USB in here and we have the story uh, Marjorie Dannenfelser. She's the one that started um, the Susan, the Susan B. Anthony. B. Anthony. And man, she has 
the president come in and speak at her things, and she's a powerful force. Connie Wisecoff, who had three abortions and now runs a pregnancy center and is helping save lives. Of course, we got Melissa, her testimony from four or five years ago, plus this one. We've got Eileen Smith, whose daughter died during an abortion and uh, it was hidden from her. Carrie Fisher, who survived an abortion. Minka, who found her daughter when she was in her late 80s. And this is just powerful. Today's interview is available on a special Choose Life USB flash drive. Also included on this flash drive, you'll find several more interviews and testimonies relating to abortion. This Choose Life USB flash drive will be accompanied by the Observing All Things booklet that contains many statistics and scriptures with regard to abortion and other social issues. You can get these valuable resources today for a gift of any amount. Also, Andrew would like to offer you the Observing All Things booklet absolutely free. Go to awmi.net to receive this free offer today. This special offer is limited to one free booklet per household. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. Well, I'm Minka Isabel. I was born on November 10th, 1911. So I will be uh, 102 this year in November. Lost my father when I was uh, a year and a half and raised by my mother. Another girl and I, we walked with, they said it was a skating rink, but I don't remember a thing of the skating rink. But anyhow, as we were coming back, well, I guess three men approached us and uh, uh, both her and I were raped. Well, pretty soon, of course, my mother could see that, that uh, something was wrong. And she took me to the um, pastor and they decided that I should go into this home for girls and adopt the baby out. They told me that she would be adopted out to a pastor, that he was a Lutheran pastor and evangelist, and the baby would have a good home. After giving up her daughter for adoption, Minka went on with her life. She often longed to know what became of the baby she gave up, but had little hope until one amazing day when she was 95 years old. And on July 2nd, my telephone rang. And uh, the lady's voice says, I'm looking for a Minka B. Disbrill, and uh, it's very important. So then she told me that she had six children. And I says, oh. And she says, then my son is an astronaut and he's been up four times, and he's the one that took the Japanese scientists up. Look at the joy that came back into my life, and that family came down, came back into my life. I says, what a joy. Minka saw God turn a traumatic experience into a loving and successful family. Today, she volunteers at a pregnancy resource center in San Clemente, California. Minka helps young girls in similar circumstances make the right decisions through the power of her testimony. And so this is what I tell girls. 
and young people. Save your baby. And if you can't afford to, to abort or get married to the man, the father of the baby, adopt the baby out. I met Minka six years ago. For six years, without fail, Minka came and prayed. And her testimony is, is beautiful. We share her story with girls that are contemplating the choices that they have because they do have a choice. When there's that opportunity to share um, that life is possible and that placing a child for adoption is a beautiful option and they hear about Minka, they're really inspired to choose life. I'm Minka Disbro and I'm 101 and I chose life.